welcome into another episode of the Growing Faith Podcast. My name is Rick McClatchy, and I am your host today. Here at the Growing Faith Podcast, our goal is simply to provide resources to equip people, to strengthen people, to do the work of the ministry, to help people identify and take their next step in their relationship with Jesus. We call it that small groups, pastoral care, discipleship, all of the things that are really just the nitty-gritty of what makes up the Christian life as we work to follow in obedience and faithfulness to our Savior, Jesus Christ. Come on. We're glad to be here today. Part of that process is really finding yourself in and committed to a church family. And so I'm excited that we're going to get into part two of a conversation we started last week with my friend Jason Johansson. Making the Church Your Family Part 2. We're going to join that conversation already in progress, and I will catch you on the other side. Let's go. All right, so we're back Uh, again. Jason, thanks for coming and hanging out with me and uh, just being a part of the Growing Faith podcast. And so we're in now our second uh, adventure into this topic of making the church your family. And in our in our previous time together, we kind of spent some time talking about um, what are we even talking about, and why you know kind of why are we talking about it? It's, there's a lot of scriptures that talk about, and even some of the challenging things that Jesus said. That what are you what are you trying to say, Jesus? You know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> what are you trying to say? And I'm feeling a little offended by what you said. And you know, if Jesus never if his words never offend you, you're probably reading them wrong, right? So yeah. like. Um, so we talked a little bit about, uh, and then we talked a little bit about American culture, uh, just our hyper individualistic kind of environment that we've grown up in, and how we we basically become kind of preconditioned uh, by all of that to think a particular way about our own lives, our homes, our schedules, our money, our our even our relationship with God, the way that our spiritual formation journey happens, all of these things are like, find out, man, it's pretty pervasive. It's all over the place. I think in the in the lens of me personally, myself, I don't really think of myself in the context of community or family. And so how do I live out this life making the church my family and and to start out that conversation um like let's can you help me dig into like what does what does scripture say about the church and and how that should look how that should kind of play out yeah now that's the you I think you're exactly right Rick that that's the the great danger is that we all agree with this stuff uh this is perhaps another in the last podcast we talked about the buffers uh, that we create that protect us from Scripture's difficult teachings. Uh, we all, in this day and age, it's astonishing that we all can, you get a group in a room and say, church is about community, right? And everybody's, yeah. And we're supposed to be a family, right? And absolutely, yeah. right? Let's go. And I don't know if that's because we're so just desperate for community uh, that we all can agree that that sounds awesome. But because we're so desperate for community, we have just so little aptitude for it. Uh, and the great risk, I suppose, is that we talk about it, and we talk about it a lot, and we think that we've actually done anything. Uh, and we can 
especially young people, we can go to our parents and say, look at this. And, you know, we've, I, I, I don't know if I'm including us in that or not. But, yeah. <laughs> uh, look, the church is supposed to be a family, mom. Nanny, 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 no, no. Uh, and they say, well, I'm not so sure about that. And because we got in an argument with our folks that we feel like, well, we've done something. Um, in truth, they probably have more to teach us about what family looks like than we Gen Xers or millennials know what to do with. Uh, the early church was by no means a model of what family could or should be. Um, there were some differences with us. Some were good and some were not so good. Uh, you know, the, the, the ability of the household leader to abuse slaves, that's not a good thing. Uh, we can go down the list of things that were not great. Their uh, sort of dismissiveness of what children were was not a good thing. Uh, the church had to teach, and for the first time, the church did teach the world what it, what children are for. Uh, they are not to be abandoned by the hillside. Uh, this was given to us by the church. Uh, the It was the early church that taught um, folks that slaves are not just property, um, that they're our brothers. And so in the course of time... Uh, it became illegal for slaves to hold other, I'm sorry, Christians to hold other slaves, Christians to hold other Christians as slaves. Uh, they didn't necessarily see or imagine that happening when the New Testament was being written. But the consequences of what Paul says, for instance, in, in Philemon, uh, were borne out so that in a matter of time, slaves, uh, Christians no longer held other Christians as slaves. They just could not understand maintaining a brother in Christ as a slave. Uh, so, in the same way, I think, Rick, we have to sort of learn what it means to be a family. And we cannot just assume that the best things about our family are what the church should be. Uh, very often, some of the things that we think of as the best things about our family are exactly what the gospel tells us. Uh, uh, that's not okay. Um, Can you give me an example of something that you think of when... Oh, goodness. Uh I think the church has long understood, and we've sort of forgotten it recently, but the church has long understood that the family, and you see this in the New Testament, Christ teaching, that the family is perhaps our greatest and most prevalent temptation. Uh, it's, oh, I can think of young couples who uh, imagine that they're going to live a life of simplicity, and they're going to use their resources for the kingdom, and they're going to, you know, uh, not fill their house with uh, all the different examples of consumerism that abound in our culture. Uh, and then they have kids. And they say, well, but my kids, oh, I don't want them to feel left out. Uh, oh, I don't want them to miss out on what everybody else is doing. And by the end of it, the kids become an excuse whereby they can do all the things that they previously said they would never do. Uh, when we start talking about the very difficult commands of Christ, for instance, love your enemies, uh, and really quickly, before we even spend much time thinking about, well, how can I do that? How can we do that as a church? Our objections jump to the forefront. And usually those objections will be something like, but what about my kids? But how will this affect? But what if somebody attacks my family? Uh, there's just innumerable ways where family becomes a means by which uh, we are excused from the complications of the gospel rather than the place that we are first and foremost to enact the gospel. Uh, I mean, we just, yeah, that's that's probably good for that, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I guess you're you're starting to hit on a whole topic of kind of part of the discipleship journey 
you know, discipleship is a cross that leads, you know, uh, to crucifixion more than it is a path that leads to a crown and a throne, right? Like, yeah. Uh, and but, we want to protect our kids from that. We want to protect our yeah. kids from the complications of the gospel. Uh, yeah. And it's, uh, yeah, that's a hard thing. Don't get me wrong. I have kids myself and it's a hard thing. It's a hard thing for us for to do stuff ourselves, I yep. think, and yep. let alone see your kids go through any sort of challenge or, you know, being bullied or something because of their faith or persecuted for one thing or another or get a bad grade on a test because sure. they wrote something that's countercultural or whatever. But um, so as we look at the church, you know, what what are some of the high points of what the Bible the Bible points out to us about the church and sure. what it should kind of look like. And oh, you know, the you get this in the Gospels that the church is not homogeneous. Uh, that the church looks like Jew, Gentile, male, female, slave, free. Uh, and this certainly in this day and age is something we need to remind ourselves of. Uh, that the one thing we have in common is that we all stand that space beneath the cross in need of grace, uh, that we all have received the spirit of sonship. Uh, and so now all the hierarchies that abound in our society have been wiped away. Uh, in our society, we have, of course, uh, some degree of sort of ageism. Um, and I think it's unique that scripture says, what is true religion? It's the care of widows and orphans, which is the most vulnerable at both those extremes, um, children and elderly. Um, the, the New Testament church and the way they incorporated widows and elders, um, which if you look up what is the you know, Greek for, for elders, it's elders, elderly, you know, old people. Uh, uh, this is a hard thing for us to get, that we would revere older people. Um, that's just something our culture doesn't do. Um, the New Testament church um, understood that family speaks truthfully to one another. And this is certainly something that Certainly Western, certainly American families are not great at doing. Um, we are not great at speaking truthfully to one another. I like to think of uh, the American idolization of our culture. And you have all these kids who've shown up. And it's become, it's been a while, I guess, since I watched one. But as, <laughs> as it used to go, is they, they would get up there and they would have this night where they showed all the horrible singers. And those poor kids would get up there and they would make a fool of themselves. And everybody at home would laugh. And the judges would say, you're awful. You're the worst thing I've ever heard. And those kids would look at them dumbfounded and just be astonished that somebody would say that they're a horrible singer because up until now, everybody in their life has said, oh, sweetie, you're, you're so awesome. good. Yeah. <laughs> you pursue your dreams. You're doing awesome. That's beautiful. And it's a shock to their system that somebody told them the truth. Uh, and I think we do this all the time. I think we, uh, as one theologian says, we, we prefer peace and quiet to the peace that comes through truthfulness, the true mm. peace. Um, I mean, we don't want to go all Simon Cowell on each other yeah. and just be brutal, but we do want to speak the truth. And I, I see your notes actually specify to speak the truth in love and love is patient and love is kind and love is always hoping for the best and not keeping any record of wrongs. And so there's this context when you speak the truth in love that you're, you know, doing yeah. it for the best of the other person, not not to actually maybe even elevate your position towards that person because you've identified something they're doing wrong or whatever. So This is right. This is in the context of grace where we acknowledge, yep, 
there but for the grace of God. And we see the splinter in our eye, or rather the timber. Uh, but yeah, you're right. Uh, uh, the sharing of possessions is something we talked about last uh, yeah. podcast. Uh, that the sharing of possessions uh, is that most basic element of what it means to be a family. Um, it's not pure communism uh, where nothing belongs to anybody. You don't see that in the New Testament. What you see is that uh, nobody you, you aspire to no more than a sufficiency. Uh, and what you have in excess is God's. And you can then share that recklessly with others for the purpose of the kingdom. Uh, it's I think about my own family, and my own friends, um, and it's I, we don't have an absolute sort of communist in my uh, mentality in, in my biological family. Um, but if I know that my siblings fallen on hard times and they need some help, I'm going to look and see what resources I have that I can share. Absolutely. Um, and this is what the church is meant to be for one another. Uh, and we can get into how that, what that looks like, but um, this is, this is the practicalities of being a family, um, bearing one another's burdens. This again is a. If there is a culture that is more sort of, imagines itself to be more self-sufficient, more autonomous um, than America, I've not heard about it. Um, the idea that we would be a burden, for instance, uh, Bonhoeffer has this great quote where he says, "Only when the brother is a burden is he really your brother." Mm. Uh, but so long as we imagine ourselves to be self-sufficient, autonomous, sort of picking ourselves up by the bootstraps, we refuse to allow other people to be our siblings. Um, we withhold ourselves from them. Um, and we protect ourselves from that. So uh, not just bearing one another's burdens, but allowing ourselves occasionally to be a burden um, is something that Scripture understands family to be. I actually uh, did an episode... Is a few weeks ago now, um, where I talked specifically about bearing one another's burdens. Yeah, and and that was actually kind of a recent uh, like aha moment that I had because I've always thought about the idea of bearing one another's burdens from the perspective of the one that's coming alongside and bearing the burden. But then it it dawned on me, no, I as the person that has the burden. I have to do some level of opening up yep. and and letting my need, letting my burden be identified um, and then being willing to receive help in that. And actually your family has uh, been um, instrumental in even pointing out some of my uh, my personal objections, yep. like recognizing, wow, I, I have some work to do in order to open up my heart enough to actually engage in this process of being family, because uh, uh, my I had some we had some sickness and some challenges happening in our in our family, and I remember talking to your wife in the lobby yeah. at church, and she's like, "No, literally, like you want us to? Uh, we're really good at cleaning, and we're really good at doing laundry, and <laughs> they are. And I'm just <laughs> and I'm thinking to myself, um, have somebody come over to my dirty house, however dirty it might be on that particular day." And have somebody do my my dirty laundry. You know, it's like yeah. we, you know, what that phrase we use of, well, let's air somebody's dirty laundry, right? Like, dirty laundry is like, uh, you know, <laughs> and so I just, uh, it was an eye-opening thing for me to to reflect on that offer because uh, yeah. I think it's the first time I'd been offered that type of help. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah. It took somebody that was willing to offer that kind of help. But then I also recognize, boy, I have some, I have some baggage in my own heart or some, <laughs> some, what, I don't know. I can't find the word right now. Some, uh, hesitations in my heart that I'm like, uh, I don't know if I want to let someone in yeah. to that part of my world. Yeah. Yeah. My wife and I, when we, <clears throat> we first moved to Knoxville, it was about 12 years ago. And I understood at that point that one must be intentional about these things and one must uh, make themselves vulnerable. And this is not my disposition. I'm very much, I think I, I think in these terms because I see my own propensity to sort of uh, run the race alone. And so pushing against that and wanting to do more than I could ever accomplish on my own, I, I've sort of struggled with how to push myself beyond that in a way that's biblical and Christian. Anyways, when we first moved to Knoxville about a dozen years ago, uh, I asked my wife, and she's a good sport, and so I said, you know, listen, how about we try this? We go there with a carload of stuff. We're just going to be here a year. At least that was our plan. <laughs> we go there with a carload of stuff, and we bring what we can bring in our car. And why in the world would we, A, you know, pack a U-Haul for a year? Nor do I want to buy a whole bunch of stuff so we can be there a year. But listen, the, there's a lot of churches in Knoxville. We're going to go to a church. We're going to settle in. And we're just going to be honest with people. Uh, how about if when they ask us how we're doing, and if we need anything, we just be honest. And my, again, my disposition is to not. My disposition is to say that, you know, sort of platitudes I'm doing great. of, oh, I'm fine. Yeah. Doing great. Yeah, it's good to be here. No, we're good. Right. We don't need anything. <laughs> so I pushed against that. And I said, Kara, can we just, we'll say, we'll say, yeah, well, we're doing good, except uh, my bottom really hurts because I've been sitting on the floor this week and we don't, <laughs> we don't, have, a recl- we don't have a chair yet that's comfortable. Uh, and she, she, again, she's a good sport. She said, sure, let's do it. Uh, and so that's what we did. We got to Knoxville, Tennessee. And I, we brought an air mattress. So first things first, we did buy a mattress. But pretty much everything after that, as we'd meet folks, they'd say, how you doing? How's your mood? Well, it's doing fine. Well, do you need anything? Oh, we don't have, we, we have like two plates and, and four silver pieces of silverware. Oh, it's, and the other thing was that I knew full well, in, 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 in the United States, most of us have an excess of something or other. And it was astonishing how... Uh, our, we, our house was furnished with everybody else's leftovers. Uh, and we received more silverware than we knew what to do with. And we received more chairs. And we received just about everything you could imagine that you would need in moving to a place uh, folks had in their garage. Uh, now, it, what that required is we very quickly got involved in a church. And we had to be honest. Um, and the thing is that folks were happy to get rid of that stuff. Folks were happy that they could use their stuff sitting in their garage to benefit others. Uh, but it required that we make ourselves a little bit vulnerable and just sort of acknowledge that not everything is perfect. And we can't, and we don't want to try to do this by ourselves. Uh, and the other awesome thing about that was that it, it opened the door for our first and best friendships in Knoxville were some of those folks that uh, we made ourselves vulnerable to. Uh, I think it's Ben Franklin who talks about if you really want to sort of get in with somebody, name something you need help with uh, and give them a chance to serve you and they'll have a degree of loyalty and friendship with you that mm-hmm. that, that uh, is lasting. Uh, anyways, that's how it worked out with us. Yeah, helping somebody move has always been like one of those things that kind of helps uh, bond you to someone. Yeah. Um, and for whatever reason, one of my roles here at the church has become being uh, kind of a connector of 
resources needed to uh, resources provided. And so I, I can say I've seen the dynamic that you're talking about happen over and over and over again. Yeah. I mean, I remember at one point in my garage, I had like four TVs because people had TVs they wanted to give away to people. Yeah. And but I didn't know who needed it at the time. And so I was like, yep, sure, I'll take it. And I put it in my garage and then I, you know, a week, it never failed. A week later, I'd have a conversation with someone. Oh, man our TV broke or this or that. And you were able to like, Oh, Hey, well here's a practically brand new TV for you for free from, (laughs) from this couple in the church and stuff. And, um, and, and there is a sense of like, you think that you would lose in the process of exposing your need, your lack, your, cause there's the, there's a humbling thing that happens in that process. Mm -hmm. You, you think like you'd only lose in that process, but what, what I've seen people gain in the process has been kind of surprising and um, and pretty cool, you yeah. know, but something I didn't necessarily anticipate in the journey. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's right. So let's talk a little bit, um, or did we get all of those um, bearing one another's burdens? You have one more point there I don't want to miss. Oh, I'm not sure. Uh, we can just... I'm not tied to these either. Uh, let's see. Being obligated to one another. Let's. Uh, oh, I see. Let's talk about that. That's an interesting. Being obligated to one another. Uh, again, this is this is something. It's not very American, Jason. Not very American. <laughs> oh, the simplest way to think about it is is just think about the ways that we make decisions. Uh, and how we will, uh, you know, folks can come to church and say, listen, I got this new job, and it's across town or it's across the country, and it pays more money, so we're going to go. And our default is just to say, yeah, I guess. That makes sense, I guess. Uh, and how just astonishing it is and how it would be for the early church to hear somebody say, on the basis of money, I'm going to leave this community that has given me spiritual life and that our degree of loyalty and obligation to those people who've perhaps raised us in the faith, uh, who baptized us, uh, who walked with us uh, during difficult times of life is so easily broken that we would do so on the basis purely of just a, a you know, better job opportunity. Um, I'm not suggesting that we need to stay in one place for the whole of our lives or we can't move for various reasons. Uh, I just mean to say that uh, in our culture, we're so transient, uh, that, and our default of, you know, for economics or education, um, we should separate ourselves from those who've borne our burdens with us and walked with us, um, without any other thought or any other conversation, um, is not a particularly Christian way of viewing the church family. Um, now what that could look like is a process of discernment, a process of saying, hey, I'm thinking about this, I'm praying about this, and allowing others to speak to that. Uh, and in the, confl- in, the, in the conversation, coming to a much better decision. Uh, but, you know, in terms of decision-making, we make decisions about just huge decisions. Who we're going to marry, uh, how we're going to live our lives, how many kids we're going to have without consulting, and just talking it through with the church. I'm not saying that the church needs to boss us around and tell us every little thing. Um, but goodness, there's a world of wisdom there. Uh, and for that matter, 
we have some obligation to those who have borne our burdens and raised us in the faith that should not be so easily just dismissed. Uh, uh, respect is due, I suppose. And not only do we have cultural dynamics that kind of make us uh, hesitant to give that kind of influence to another person or an organ or like what we have kind of deemed an organization. Yeah. Uh, but we also probably have a bunch of people that have some hurts and some, oh, yeah. some abuses that they've experienced that probably really inhibit their, their natural tendency to open up. I mean, I, I mean, I've been a pastor here at Manor House for almost 10 years and, and you, you know, co-pastor your church there um, so you know what it's like to have people, one, leave for jobs and stuff, but mm-hmm. also those conversations like, oh, uh, Jenny and I got just got engaged and we're getting married. So will you marry us, you know, yeah. Uh, yeah. next month? There's no conversation. Uh, typically, there's no conversation of should we get engaged? Should we do this thing? Should we move forward? Right. It's like, hey, we're moving <laughs> forward. Uh, could you come and you know, like, uh, pray a blessing over us or whatever? Yes, and this is the hard. This is I, I think the church has most of the tools whereby we can dig into being a family for one another. Uh, which is to say that this is how the church originated. This is what it was created to be, and so there's these fundamental things that we've been given: uh, communion, baptism, laying on of hands. All these are very communal things. Decision making, marriage. Uh, if anybody objects to this, speak now or forever hold your peace. So built in of these little things that we just sort of forget about, um, but they're built in with the understanding that uh, we belong to each other. Uh, prayer for one another, for goodness sake, uh, should obligate us to one another. Uh, so you get all these things. Uh, yeah, there, there comes points at which we just sort of have to dig in at times, and we have to say... Um, we have to speak truthfully. Uh, we have to push in and make ourselves vulnerable. Sometimes that's by receiving hard truths. Sometimes that's by giving hard truths. I can think of a woman in our congregation who loved foster kids. And our church loved foster kids and adoption. And we were very pro-adoption. That was something we were big into. Uh, and she had two young children. And her husband had left her. And she loved foster kids. And she wanted to have foster kids. And she came to us, and uh, she said, I want to have foster kids. I feel called to this. And she wanted, in particular, to have teenage boy foster kids. And uh, we said, no, you are not called to this. That those kids are very vulnerable, very, and it's a tumultuous time in your life. Um, Now, in this church, you might be called to foster kids in the sense of sharing the load. We have foster kids here. Be Be their aunt. Uh, be there, um, be a sort of you know, influ- a positive discipling influence in their totally. life. Totally. Uh, but in your present circumstances, God has not called you to be a foster parent. Uh, now this was a hard thing to hear, and she didn't like hearing it, and she went ahead and had um, teenage boy foster kids uh, to the detriment of her kids. Um, now this is the that's the hard part about it. The positive side about it is that we've had other foster parents who say, I feel called a foster parent. And they submit that decision to the church. Uh, And the church then sits with them and prays with them and considers that with them. And in the course of the time, the church says, yeah, absolutely, I feel called to you. We we, we resonate with that call. 
we think you are called and, and you should be doing, uh, taking in foster kids right now. And what they've done is they've invited that church to share that load with them. And these folks have not been sort of obligated. Hey, look, I showed up with a whole bunch of kids that now I want you to babysit this weekend. Uh, we've sort of walked that decision with them. And by the end of it, everybody's on board. So that when they do care for these kids, they're not doing it alone. They've got the whole resources of the church standing beside them and with them. Um, and it makes for a beautiful situation that, that is, again, is sustainable, healthy, and that the world can look at and say, that's how you should be doing it. That makes sense. Yeah, and even the even the journey towards marriage is, uh, you know, can be can be something that needs support and encouragement oh, sure. and strengthening. And so that's an interesting differentiation that you just put out there is uh, as they come. I mean, you know, from a business perspective, as you're trying to get people on board, they would say, like, do you give people the opportunity to have buy in? You know, they yep. get a chance to be a part of the decision-making process, or are you just trying to get them on the bandwagon after the fact? Right. And the the dynamic that happens on an emotional, uh, psychological kind of level with people, as they're able to join with you in the decision-making process and have a chance to push back or challenge something, then when the decision comes, then they're like, yes, I'm on board. Then when the challenges come down the road, they're much more, yeah, we're in this together Whereas the feeling can be later, like, no, no, you never, no, right. I, I knew this day was coming. I knew these challenges were coming and you didn't give me a chance to speak into that. Yeah. Not saying any of those attitudes are necessarily uh, redeemed attitudes, but I think that, uh, and really the whole community benefits yes. when we are willing to obligate ourselves to one another. It's always so interesting to me. The conversations that we're having is so much of surrendering things, laying things down, or, and even this word obligate is interesting, that we're actually uh, connecting ourselves one to another in such a way that we're becoming to some degree dependent upon one another to do the things that God has called all of us to do. That's right. Yeah, and in the best way possible, we belong to one another. Um, and this is the beauty of the church, that when the foreigner, the alien, the stranger, uh, the homeless man, um, God places the solitary in households, when they show up at church, uh, they belong to us. Uh, when they submit themselves to God, they become a member of God's family. They become his son or daughter and our sibling. Um, and this is a beautiful thing. Uh, and this has the power to, goodness, uh, this has the power to sort of... Uh, answer so many of our culture's uh, social crises. Um, how do we care for widows and orphans? How do we um, answer those who say that they have a, uh, uh, they're attracted to the same sex? Does that mean I don't get to be in a family for the rest of my life? Does that mean I don't get to have kids um, or, you know, I, I, or be around kids? Um, all these, what do we, uh, uh, what do we do with our aging? Um, do we, you know, during COVID, this has become a pressing question um, where we're sort of struck with how our society treats our elders. Um, and I'm, I, I don't think anybody's too terribly impressed. Um, uh, the church has the answers for these, and the answer begins with the fact that God has made us a family for one another and that we are mm -hmm. obligated in the best possible way. Um, yeah, yeah.
So what do you tell someone who is not really down on this idea, Jason, to obligate myself to other people because I've been burned a few too many times? I know people, Jason, I know people and they are not trustworthy. Like, I, you know, I can't trust you nearly as far as I can throw you and I can't throw you very far. So, yeah. Um, you know, there's there's this uh, the the idea that Christianity is safe, um, the idea that Christianity should make us happy, um, mm. and it should, you know, good times and rainbows. Uh, unfortunately, this is just if you look in vain for anywhere that that's taught in Scripture. Um, Christ promises suffering. Paul promises suffering. Uh, the rest of the New Testament is pretty unanimous uh, that suffering will come, persecution will come. Uh, Christians do not sign up for uh, high fives and hugs every day of the week. Christians sign up for an adventure uh, that is worth doing, an adventure that's so big that we can't do by ourselves. Uh, but it's an adventure worth doing. Um, oh, Bonhoeffer again, he talks about discipleship is persecution and suffering. And then the very next few pages later, but discipleship is joy. Uh, Because it's the realization of what we're created for. We are created for community with God and others. Uh, And, yeah, as Christ taught us, uh, that is not something that comes from, we're just all so sweet and nice that everybody wants to be around us. Uh, That's something that comes from us laying down our lives for one another and receiving within our own worlds the needs of the world, the the troubles of the world. Uh, It's not easy, uh, but it's good work. Well, I think, um, man, that's uh, that's that's something to chew on right there. That's something to deeply process. So I think actually we'll 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 put a pause on this conversation today, and we'll come back to dig in some more on um, maybe even some more like down to earth, nitty gritty, like practical application of some of these things that we just talked about. Um, Because I think uh, it it took some time to talk through those and lay the groundwork. Um, And I but I don't I don't want to miss the opportunity to dig into some specifics. So we'll come back in another episode and we'll talk about that. But man, dude, thank you again, Jason, for taking your time to uh, invest yourself in this process. Um, And uh, yeah, so we'll pick it up on another episode. So God bless you guys and have a great day. All right, there you have it. Again, concluding our conversation, making the church your family. Um, I know we could probably go on and on and on, honestly, talking about more details and kind of even like the ramifications of making the church your family. That level of commitment, that level of vulnerability, that level of involvement. Uh, But really, I think ultimately it's for our good, for our health, for our strength, and also to help and strengthen and encourage one another. Let's just be honest. I think if we learned anything through COVID, I think we learned that we need each other. Um, And that so often the grace that comes from God flows through his family. And so uh, that's a challenging place to be because the family, uh, you know how it is with family. Family can hurt you sometimes. and, And so I just encourage you to take some of the thoughts and things that we talked about today 
and and really wrestle with it and really ask the Lord, uh, what is your next step? What is the maybe the next level of commitment um, and faithfulness you might need to step into in regards to the church family? With that, I just want to say thank you for being a part of our listening audience. And as always, super open to uh, feedback and suggestions. You can reach me at growingfaithpodcast at gmail.com. Would love to hear from you on that. Also, if you can go to wherever you are accessing the podcast and give us a like, uh, review, share. Think of think of three people today that you think could benefit from this message and shoot them a text and uh, send them a link to the episode just to help get the word out there. Uh, with that, I just say a big hearty God bless you and have the most amazing day.